0: Welcome to Reconstructed Faith, a podcast where we talk about truth you can build your life on. We hope to dive into the hard conversations of life and faith and seek out reasonable, substantive answers. My name is Colson Lechner, and I am joined by Chris Sherrod, Chris Legg, and Brent Starnes. This is Reconstructed Faith. Hey there, Colson Lechner, interrupting again, providing just a quick preface for this episode. I just want to let you know that the following content, while it's not derogatory or inappropriate, it is intended for adult listeners concerning the topic of sex and sexuality in the Bible. Now, obviously, use your own discretion, and we hope you enjoy the conversation. Thanks again for listening, and here we go. Welcome back to the Reconstructed Faith Podcast. My name is Colson Lechner, alongside my partners in crime, Chris Legg, uh, Bryn Starnes, and Chris Sherrod. Guys, it's good to be back with mm-hmm. you, and we are continuing on with our um, conversation about sexuality uh, in the in the Bible, specifically in the New Testament, which is still underneath our umbrella of is the Bible immoral or moral by mm-hmm. today's standards? Mm-hmm. Um, and we've kind of talked a little bit about that, how we're getting into a topic like our, our first topics were okay, we as Christians and with what the Bible said fell in line with what culture said was moral um, or immoral. And then kind of now we're we're getting into topics that are more um, opposed to the culture. Mm-hmm. So I think this is good. These are questions that, I mean, we've, I know I've had and other people have had. And so it's really good to kind of rehash these. Um, and so we're moving on in the New Testament to hear what other authors Um, and leaders like Paul and other people like that had to say about the topic of sexuality. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
1: It was interesting. I was listening to another podcast today about um, just gender and sexuality, and they reiterated, I think, the point that we've made several times, but just how one of the reasons that this is so controversial is because the emphasis that culture places on sexuality being so tied to identity and also the fact that um, needing to act out or act how you feel is tied to identity and Um, Mm -hmm. self-fulfillment and being able to just have that freedom is like so tied to satisfaction and contentment and full life in culture. That that's why this is another reason why this is so controversial, because part of all of the Christian ethic is saying that fulfillment doesn't come from just acting on our feelings. But this specifically is um, is touted so much in culture that that it's immediately offensive, I think, um, on whatever grounds you're talking about with sexuality.
2: Absolutely. But I was just
1: reminded of that. of like, yeah, this is. It is hard. It is a hard conversation because it flies in the face of even the ethic of what we're saying leads to full life. Just right. Like the umbrella of it. And then on all the details.
2: But anyway. Yeah, that's a that's a understanding that root. And we've talked about that in the last few, the, the roots of Freudian thought or or a lot of the modern sexuality thought. But but yeah, it's it's a great reminder that some of the baseline of Christianity, as Chris shared as often as that. There, there is a God and he has spoken, if that's the case, then what he says matters. And if, is he the designer um, and definer of who we are or are we? And it, it is an important understanding that in Christianity, part of the basic thought is that we are not the designer or definer of ourselves. And so even as we as ministries and churches wrestle with these different issues, how, how much are we able to where can we flex and bend and respond and and what does gentleness look like mm-hmm. while learning, as Paul says in Ephesians four, to speak the truth in love. Um <clears throat> it it is intriguing. I think I think it was interesting here. Was it Beckett? Is it Cook? Mm-hmm. Is that what I said? Beckett uh-huh. Cook. When uh-huh. he spoke, I I think I've given him credit for this. If he didn't say it, I think it's good he should have said it. The um he did a great he was a great friend when he came and spoke at the church, but um on the heading That he had said something to the line, I'm paraphrasing, that he had not been visiting churches or had not gone to the church for the same reason that an African-American person doesn't go to a KKK rally. Like, Mm. that was the impression that he had, was that Christians hated him at the personal level Mm -hmm. because he was homosexual. Now, he didn't actually have any evidence of that. He had never actually experienced it. He had never never gone toe-to-toe. He had never been treated badly by a Christian. He just knew, because of what he had been told by others, that that's what would happen. Mm-hmm. Um, it kind of reminds me of, you know, Smalley, when he came the first time as an atheist to our church and thought he was going to get, you know, darted, feathered, and hit with eggs, and and instead was treated like a VIP. Like, why? what about our ethic would to cause us to treat you that way? Like, of course, that's not how that would go. And he was surprised, but he was surprised by that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so as we go through these passages... um that are offensive to all of us because they, they limit all of our behaviors Um, as if there is a God who makes choices that we're supposed to follow, not just create our own Um, man. It's hard. That's, that's tough for all of us, but I I think it's really common. Uh, Rebecca, one of our coworkers was telling me this morning about an interaction with a gentleman who assumed she would not let him ride in her car because he was gay. (laughs) He was like, wait, you, you're going to give me a ride too. Like, well, of Mm -hmm. course I mean, yeah, I'm giving everyone a ride. Oh, can I, I can get in your car too. <laughs> like that, yeah. like that was even a thought in her mind yeah. at all was no, you're, you're a, a gay man. Therefore you can't ride in my car with everyone else. That, 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 I mean, maybe there are people who claim Christ who that would that cross their mind, but I I don't know them personally. Yeah, I don't know sure. any of them personally. And I live yeah. in, you know, the, the diamond on the cowboy on the buckle of the Bible belt here. <laughs> and, and it's, and i don't know a i don't know a personally a single christian who would behave that way again i'm sure there are people who exist who would but yeah it is not it would not be biblical to do so
1: yeah well i think you have two parts of it i think um <coughs> one part is Sorry. i think there there's a lot of narrative in culture about what the church thinks that's coming yeah. from culture and not the church and right. so Because I've had a lot of conversations with people that are like, well, the church thinks this and the church thinks that. And I'm like, it's interesting that you're gathering that from people that are not in the church. Like it's more of a perception of what the church thinks about all these different things, whether it's, you know, LGBTQ plus or just sex outside of marriage or whatever it is. Like they just have a perception of what they think the church, like you're saying, that hasn't actually come from believers. But then I think on the other side, you do have people in the name of Christ, whether or not they're actually believers right who have treated all of these subjects really poorly and yeah. and individuals poorly in the name in the mm-hmm.
0: name of well and i wonder if it's also because they live in the you know on the diamond of the cowboy right and the, right and they attend church and right. their conservative right wing yeah uh, you know association or affiliation then it's coupled with the church oh definitely yeah right you know Absolutely. rather than it's like but it it's the whole, okay, well, th- let's talk about what you believe. Let's mm-hmm. talk about this God that you're, you know. Well, I, I, it
2: reminds me of a, there was a great little mini, I just saw a few seconds of it, of a two people who are on the opposite ends of a gun control argument. And and both of them were screaming at each other, you don't care about protecting the children. Right. And and yeah. then when they sat down and were like, wait a minute, what do you mean when you say you don't care about, <laughs> of course I care about protecting children. I don't think they should have access to guns and Guns kill children. He's like, but how are you supposed to protect children from bad guys if if you don't have a gun to protect them? And they were both just stunned. They were both mm-hmm. just flabbergasted. Like, Wait, you're being motivated to protect children. Well, you are too? Like it. And they actually huh. then started having a conversation about how yeah. do we best protect children? And it was like, in an instant, it was, Oh, you you don't believe what I've always been told about you people. Right. And and I think the church probably for a long time took a long time to catch up to this. what we believe about you people. Mm -hmm. We were only hearing it from one another. And, and I think now that's kind of been, there's been some reversal on that of, well, I know what the church believes about this. I mean, I've never heard that from a Christian. I've never read in the Bible, but this is what I, anyway, so just, it'll be great as we continue to talk about sex in general. But
1: I do think sexuality in general, there have been a lot of churches (coughs) that have not taught it well, as we've talked about. And there's a lot of both hermeneutical and just practical aspects of that. Even like the purity culture of the nineties, there yep. were aspects of it that were passionately taught that were not biblical.
2: Yep.
1: And I think I think it's just fair to admit like there's a lot of hurt on multiple levels when it comes to sexuality of people who have taught it incorrectly in the name of Christ.
2: Absolutely. Um
1: and <clears throat> treated people poorly in the name of Christ or elevated sexuality above other other, sin, all other sins, like yeah. all those things mm-hmm. that we've talked about. Um, yeah. So I think there's both of those aspects.
3: I struggled with the school that I taught at in California. I struggled with their policy. If, uh, one of the, one of the students gets pregnant that, um, it's cause we're so big on, you know, don't have sex, don't have sex, don't have sex. And then we're so big on pro life stuff. But then it's like there wasn't a culture of grace, like, okay, but people make mistakes. And so what are we gonna do now? Do we really forgive them? Because their attitude was more like, Well, they can't come to school now. Mm. And I was like, What why why can't they come to school? I mean, what mm. what what scarlet letter are you gonna throw on them for that? And then two, is the is the guy getting kicked out? Because it mm-hmm. takes two to mm-hmm. tango, but it, their their reasoning was something like, "Well, if other people are here and they see a girl walking around pregnant, I'm just going, we're just ashamed, we're just embarrassed, like mm-hmm. we're not then loving people." And I think yesterday at our our pastor here was was preaching on um, being made in the image of God, and do we see other people made in the image of God? And that's one of the things he talked about was even in the issue of LGBTQ plus stuff. Am I more concerned with making sure they know? where i stand or that they know that they're loved by god mm-hmm. right you know what i mean I, I think so many people in an effort to try to make sure that we're not caving on truth make people not feel like they're seen or loved or valued because you know <laughs>
2: mm-hmm. they're doing
3: something we disagree with and and that's right. I, I remember we had mike yarhouse have you heard of him oh yeah mm-hmm.
2: oh yeah he's a, a he true came leader and spoke
3: to the punk of directors one time and that was kind of his point he's like i th- I think they know where we stand on this. <laughs> um, now, again, I think, unfortunately, some churches do waffle on that or water it down, but he was like, I, I don't think we need, I think they know where you probably stand. So you you might not need to make that a big issue. It's more, do they know that you love them and that you have hope.
1: Mm-hmm. Right.
3: Within,
2: but Yeah.
1: And that, like we've talked about, that we are preaching and teaching that this isn't an us versus them. We believe that we're all broken Right. In always mentally, physically, sexually. And this isn't that God's calling some of us to sacrifice our, and die to ourselves and not
2: others of us. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a, that's a, such an important place to start, is the recognition that, as we said last time, this calling to die to self and to be willing to give things up that God calls sin is, is a universal. Following him, the universal call to follow Christ Involves in this sanctification process of walking away from the sin in our lives. And the sin mm. is defined by him, not us. Yes. <clears throat> and that's um, important. There you go. I know we'll kind of, we'll
0: jump into uh, what the Bible has to say, but um, Daniel David stopped me yesterday. Um, was, gentleman in the church. He, yeah, gentleman, in, uh, yeah, member of our church. And he said, he said, I was going back and reading, um, so like reading through C.S. Lewis and mere Christianity. And he said, there's like one or two chapters dedicated to sexuality in that book. And he was like, I would, I was curious what, what y'all would have, you know, if you had anything to say or incorporate from that. Um, so obviously that's not something that we have to tackle now, but I was like, Oh, I have actually not read that book. So I don't know.
2: Hmm. Um, I have, it is not famous for its its context with sexuality, but it'd be interesting to look up. Okay. Well, that's great. Well, Let's
0: table that portion, and yeah. I'm sure that'll come up eventually again. And let's talk about some more of what the New Testament says um, concerning sexuality. You know, we've already talked about some of the ways that Jesus talked about it in the Gospels. But if we're if we kind of continue uh, going chronologically, I guess in the uh, in the New Testament, what are things or passages that that come up for y'all of like, hey, these are These are good things to consider
2: as we're talking about it. When we look at the sexual, just to to kind of build towards this, as as we look at the sexual revolution conversations, those, those, the women's rights, pornography, prostitution, feminism, polygamy, birth control, sex education, no fault divorces, sex before marriage, single parent families, abortion, homosexuality, same sex marriage, transgender, age of consent, and there's... Certainly going to be others. It'll be interesting for us to see which of these passages we feel like the Apostle Paul, since we're moving past the Gospels now, mostly Apostle Paul or maybe Peter or John, James, a few others, kind of what what their input is on these. Mm -hmm. Um, But we're going to run pretty quickly into, I feel like into Romans. Um, Feels like we're the first place. So who wants to take Mm -hmm. uh, the conversation to the book of Romans, Paul's letter to the church In Rome, jump out there. Mm. I
3: know I already talked about it a little bit. Um,
2: With natural, the concept of natural.
3: Uh, Yeah, but I do think he does, (coughs) before he even gets to the issue of homosexuality in Romans 1, um, well, starting in verse 21, he's talking about, Mm -hmm. even though God has revealed himself plainly, and, now, and You're in 121. I just think it's always, yeah. one
2: twenty 120, Romans 121, starting there.
3: Yeah. Uh, well, actually, sorry. Let me start in verse 18. I okay. need to start there. and I'll just start reading. Good. Uh, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power, Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie in worship and of <laughs> the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. And then it goes on and talks about the natural passions versus unnatural ones or relations um, next. But my, my point was in that, this is a issue that's part of the whole thing that Brent said of the brokenness of man, that how it shows itself is in a lot of different ways. But I think the biggest thing that Paul is trying to explain here is that it's not a lack of information, um, but inclination is the problem. Mm-hmm. Um, in other words, he keeps saying they knew this, they knew this, they know um, it's plain to them. It's clear. And yet they're choosing to do this and um, rely on their own thinking. But mm my insight on that right there is when you see that inward turn where it's it's all about themselves um related to the issue of sex it it's an interesting phrase where it says you're dishonoring your body when you give yourself up to the lust of your hearts to impurity Mm -hmm. um to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves and um It's again, he's using Genesis one and two words and um, references almost in all of this, where he talks about images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and creeping Uh things. But um, in Preston's book, Preston Springle's book, uh, Embodied, he talks about when it says, um, you know, man is made in the image of God. um, That word is most often used in the Old Testament, at least, to talk about uh, images like idols. Mm. and an image or an idol is supposed to be this physical representation of the deity that you're representing right um and and that's kind of what paul uh, i'm sorry that's that's what genesis is first kind of referring to and it says we're made in god's image we're imaging god to the world and so there's the emotional aspect and the religious relational aspect with god and stuff but being embodied is all wrapped up in that, like what you do with your bodies does matter. It's not right. like a um agnostic kind of a i mean a gnostic sorry gnostic the body's bad, the spirit is good, it's like no, your bodies matter too, and Paul's gonna unpack that later in Romans, but I just think people don't even think about the fact that she could be dishonoring your body by engaging in sexual morality,
1: yeah. Well, and I think like we mentioned briefly last week, but in an effort to teach about abstinence, I think a lot of Christians have erred on the side of making even all physicality bad. Yeah, And I don't think they would maybe come out and say that, but that was kind of the message that was unintentionally promoted was like all, all the body, you know, spiritual is good and physical, all physical is bad. And I do appreciate that about... Preston's book of saying like no God made us physical beings and that is a way that like representing or reflecting God in our physical beings is a way of glorifying him um, yeah. because that's how he created us even before the fall um yeah. but yeah and then even I I was reading in um I think it was Sam alberry's book why does God care who I sleep with um I think it's in his book I forget but but he talked about how it's often one of those things where it's like, well, sex is not that big of a deal. It's kind of the message that is presented in culture of like,
2: right? you know, it's, it's oh, common. He,
1: because you have these verses about, um, you know, it being such a, a personal thing and they're like, yeah, it's common. It's not a big deal. And even like we have the biblical view of that, but even logically, like if you have a conversation with someone and you're like, okay, so what if your friend was hit by someone else like slapped. Um, what would your response be as opposed to if your friend was raped and even like the innate, like knowledge of like, no, that's like such a person, like something has happened to them that, that evokes even a different response in, in Mm -hmm. us just without thinking about it. Um, anyway, like the physicality of sexuality and how much it affects us is like, there's even a part of that, that we can't, can't deny, even if we don't adhere to the biblical model. Mm-hmm. But anyway, that may be a tangent. But. No,
2: no, I think I think it's a valuable tangent. It's a very important one. Yeah, the, as we talked about, I don't know, two or three weeks ago about where I unpacked the, uh, let's see, erotic, illicit, and um, intimate engagements with sexuality. Mm-hmm. But we do, we do connect sexuality, sex itself, closely to our identity. In fact, the a lot of what i teach about marriage issues about sexuality is how women have probably learned over time to disconnect their identity from sexuality because of its the danger of assault whereas yeah. men haven't and therefore men feel personally rejected when their wives aren't interested in messing around one night and the man feels very deeply personally rejected and it's because it's because he connects his own sexuality so closely to his own identity it's hard for someone to say no to us sexually without feeling like they're saying no to us at the most personal level. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I I think, I think it's very important that we recognize and own, <clears throat> this is why the Bible speaks to this is mm-hmm. because this stuff does, it isn't that it doesn't matter. And the church is, some cases the church's response, and maybe this falls under a little bit of the purity uh, phase there that mm-hmm. was going on the, that, that, not that purity is the phase. the The phase is a movement that yeah, happened. Yeah. yeah. Um, but the um, <coughs> but um, uh, the recognition that oh shoot, sick brain. <laughs> I got distracted by a cough. I distracted myself with a cough. So you're talking about purity, <laughs> purity movement. Uh-huh. Uh, oh, oh common. Okay. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I guess, here's the deal. <laughs> so that often Christians, you know, when the world came out and said sex is not special, it's common. Right. It's just a thing, it doesn't mean anything, and a great response that is that question about oh you know, if it doesn't mean anything, then why does it mean so much but but uh that the, sometimes in in the church the response was no, it's trash mm-hmm. like it's gross, it's disgusting, it's trashy it's it's something to be thrown away, it's something to be avoided at all cost, and that was wrong. The biblical is that it's sacred, and sacred things are treated carefully, especially mm-hmm. um did we talk about this last mm-hmm. time? See, okay, I did. thought yeah, so. We yeah, because yeah, I talked about talking in the plates, the yeah, three yeah, different yeah. plates. Yeah. 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 So mm-hmm. um, and so what we're gonna see once again is just like uh, just like Jesus and moving into this, that that sex is protected very carefully by scriptural teaching. Mm-hmm. It's not that it's taught as gross or meaningless, it's that it's it's treated very, very carefully. But by the word, the word defiled, um, that we're gonna run into as we go through this. The word defiled actually means to make common. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean to make trash. It mm. means to take something sacred and make it common. Mm. So, when, for example, we're, when we get to Hebrews 13, that references the marriage bed should be kept undefiled. It is by nature undefiled. Sex within marriage, its nature is to be sacred. And so you don't want to do anything that would then turn married sex mm. common Seven. into something that's mm-hmm. not special anymore. That is the biblical mm-hmm. picture. Sex is very special and very powerful. And therefore it has to have guidelines and safety rules. And you know, you wouldn't play with something that is that dangerous or that powerful or has that much significance because you're going to do a lot of harm if you do, mm-hmm. which I think we're seeing. Anyway, back to back to Romans. Yeah, back
1: to Romans. Sharon. Well, I've heard knows. you say, yeah, Chris.
3: Well, I was gonna say, I've heard you say, Chris, even taking that one step further, that therefore to protect it, God said, here is the only way that I want you to engage in this, to to make sure it is, it is protected, is going to be in this covenant relationship between right. one man and one woman. Like that's, that's why it's that big of a deal. It's not because we just want to ruin people's fun or make it, you know, right. less enjoyable. It's so that you get to experience it for its maximal um, design in all the different areas of it. Okay. Yeah. But I I
1: like that your point shared about just that god made us embodied Mm -hmm. because i think i think it's really easy i think we have to be careful when we're teaching this even to like the younger generation of of differentiating between physicality and brokenness because i think it's really easy for us to combine those two and make it like anything physical or bodily any bodily function (laughs) like anything is sinful and gross. And instead we say like, no, God made us physical embodied mm-hmm. and also it's broken by sin. So those two go together, but I think they get muddied or muddled, muddled, um, mm-hmm. in an uh, yeah, incorrect in in really way. That's a interesting
0: point. Yeah.
2: Okay.
1: But yeah, sorry. Okay. Anything next. <laughs> else in Romans
2: until, I mean, I, obviously Romans has the, in Romans 13, there's a passage about, again, look at the general nature of this. this is written to Christians. Um, Let us, starting verse 13, chapter 13, let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in carousing, what we would call partying today, um, and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy, rather clothe yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. So again, the flesh is that Um, the, the biblical picture of this idea of flesh is that part of us, that, that, that little kid inside of us that just wants to feel good. Um, I'm, I'm cold and I don't want to be cold. I'm tired and I don't want to be tired. I'm hungry and I don't want to be hungry and I'm lonely and I don't want to feel lonely. How do I make those bad feelings go away? And the, the flesh is not that the fleshly part of us isn't concerned with the rightness and wrongness of how we make those feelings go away. So if I have to steal food or, or if I have to, you know, sleep with someone other than my spouse not to feel lonely. At least I don't feel lonely. And that's, yeah. and and what we see with Jesus refers to the flesh as weak, and Paul even talks about it more and more in James about the danger of it in us to lead us in bad places that we can't trust it. Just because we feel like we want something or we want to change how we feel, yeah. we still have to engage in those decisions morally. And he's saying, rather than clothing yourself in things that make you, might make you feel better in the moment, drunkenness, sexual morality, that kind of stuff. Instead, you should clothe yourself with Jesus and let him come for you mm-hmm. ongoing from yeah. now on. And that's the the delineation. Okay. And because to me, that
0: almost screams like, <laughs> do not follow your heart. Do not follow your feelings in that
2: way. Yeah, they're just not... Tru- it's not that they're is, necessarily evil. It's, it's that they're not trustworthy. not trustworthy. Yeah.
0: Because what is it... I, I remember we've talked about this some, um, shared, and I think we've obviously talked about it on the podcast at times, but people justifying things that are against scripture because, well, it just feels right. I feel if this is the authentic me mm-hmm. and it's like, yeah. you, but you're, you're living according to the authentic flesh. Yeah. You're being authentic. Yeah. You're, you're authentic being authentic, authentic to your flesh. To your
3: flesh. Yeah. It <clears throat> resonates me. Resonates oh yeah. Me yeah, yeah that one. was the phrase. I'll even add even earlier in Romans in chapter six, where he just talks about don't, let sin reign in your mortal body. Like don't let any sin have the reins, like be in charge of your body. And he goes on and says, so to make you obey its passions, like what your body wants to do. Mm -hmm. And then it says, don't present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. So even in just that reference there, all the things that you could do with your body to honor the Lord. That would also obviously include sexual activity. That I'm just supposed to not let it rain, not let my passions rain, mm-hmm. but rather present it as this instrument for righteousness. And then the famous one is in chapter 12, right before, we were, chapter mm. before you had read Chris, where it just talks about um, our. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mer- mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And what's interesting is it can also mean your rational service. And in other words, it makes sense in light of here's what God has done to redeem you and change you. And in light of everything Paul's been talking about now, what you do is even your body, not just your heart, not just your mind, but your body is offered to God as this sacrifice, this living sacrifice. Um, So, again, I think that's we forget that our bodies are supposed to be a part of that. First Corinthians five, if we're going chronologically, I mean through our Bibles, um, the Corinthian church had a whole lot of problems and issues and immaturity, but one of the things was they would be seen today as um, very tolerant um, mm. in their church because of what they were they were tolerating. There's a phrase that I read, uh, I don't I have no idea where I got it from, but it, it said, In some churches today, it is considered worse to judge evil than to do evil, Mm. Um, which I thought is interesting that people are so big on us being loving and stuff that we're not willing to call sin out. So I think that's the living in the integration, not balance, integration (laughs) of speaking the truth and love. Like I was saying earlier, I do want people to know where I stand if they're not sure, but I also want to love them and make sure they know that they're valued. But um sometimes we can swing too far to the other side, too far where we're we're compromising and not taking a stand. But what was going on in the Corinth- in the Corinthian church was um Paul was basically shocked that the the sexual immorality in particular that they were um having was a guy was sleeping with his apparently stepmom, right, uh, his father's wife. And um his response was, and you're arrogant about it. Like you're proud that you're being that tolerant. And he, his, he said, shouldn't you like mourn about this? Like remove the person. Like, no, you can't, you can't have that. Like you've got to take a stand um, on that. And, um, his, the main thing of, uh, just in my own words, I'll say at the end, he said, it, it's not that you can't associate with sexually immoral people because in that case, you, you would have to leave the world or become a hermit. Mm-hmm. But what he what he takes very seriously is someone who calls himself a brother and yet thinks it's fine to be sexually immoral. He's like, that's a big deal. Like that's the issue there where clearly they're not upholding God's standard and um, they don't think it's that big of a deal. So his his advice for them, which was just, you've got to discipline them. You got to get purge the evil is the word that he uses.
2: Right. Mm-hmm. That's, it's, isn't that so interesting? That that brings us to that conversation that Paul has regularly of the difference between how Christians are kind of generally supposed to engage with believers
1: mm-hmm. that's what yeah. who
2: claim something and then live something different versus non-believers. So go ahead. What were you going to...
1: No, that's what I was going to say. Exactly. Go ahead.
2: <laughs> Just well,
1: like he's, he's, not, he's not equating um, us in like the way that we're interacting with other believers who are sinning and people who don't Ascribe to be believers or, you know, are not followers of the Lord and how they're acting. And we somehow get that confused a lot of times mm-hmm. of like, it becomes a behavioral modification for those who aren't even of Christ.
3: Right. We're imposing this moral standard on them and they have no, they've still got their old heart and
2: way of thinking. Right. And it's, I, I think that's fascinating. It was so freeing to me to, to find that teaching and to realize that's not our job is to somehow behaviorally, to to fix the behaviors of people outside of the kingdom. Like, that makes no sense at all. Right. Um, Yeah, Yeah. we can be pretty, challenge pretty hard people inside who claim one thing and behave another. Yeah. Whether that's sexual sin or any other sin or or whatever, but yeah.
1: Well, and then it makes sense why (laughs) um, there's a confusion of, wow, you're emphasizing all of these things and imposing Christian standards on others. And it's like, well, to some degree that's, I mean, that's accurate. We have said like, Hey, you have to do all these things. And it has become more important, not maybe mentally, but at least in the way that we're communicating, it seems more important that they have all their ducks in a row than they actually know Christ. Yeah. Um, and I think when we, when we start imposing like Christian behaviors on others without actually caring if they know Christ, like that's what it unintentionally communicates. Right. But,
3: but you got to get cleaned up before you take a shower. (laughs)
1: <laughs> right.
2: Right, <laughs> so exactly. That's the whole
3: reason you come to Jesus is so that he cleans you up. And
2: right. that was a yeah, Billy Graham once referenced the fact that he believes that God wants to scale fish after he catches them. Right. Not before. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. to 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 do the work in our lives is is for those who are with him. So Okay, good. Okay, as we keep as we keep unpacking some of these there's so many I don't know how many we it's valuable for us to do brand on on there's so many different passages, of course, in the yeah. New Testament that talk about sexual behavior.
1: Right. And we will, I, I think Colson may have mentioned this, but we, we will go into more specifics as far as like specific aspects of sexuality in right. coming episodes. So we probably don't have to touch on those in depth right now, yeah. Um, but just the general ones that talk about um, God's view of sexuality as a whole, maybe.
2: Okay. Yeah. Then, then you know, those first Corinthians, I think, I think where Chris started first Corinthians five, six, seven, um, and ongoing that that's a, those are vital, um, to Christian teaching on sexuality about the importance of prioritizing ministry over sexual relationships, Mm -hmm. um, that a single person should stay single so they can minister more freely. Um, but that if, if it's really important for them, if like, it's a thing they feel like God has given them to, um, need that intimate sexual connection that they should marry someone and, and do it that way, engage sexually that way
1: mm-hmm.
2: within those protections. Um,
1: Which I think that, just to pause on that one, I think that's an important one because even in when I've heard you talk, teach about marriage a lot, just the concept that sex is not a need, yeah, even biblically, it is not. is a foreign, I would say a foreign concept to a lot of people. Like that I is. think it has been taught that sex is a need and... Oh
2: man, Christian... Christian marriage books are the worst.
1: Yeah. Well, and it's something that's accepted by culture. Like I think culture would say that sex is a Sure, of course. And then in response, a lot of times believers have have taught that also, even though it's not in scripture. And so we have therefore justified a lot of things. And like we've talked about, this is probably another podcast, but (laughs) um, we have also presented the idea that if... It's in, I don't know. It's interesting because we have presented the idea of like, if you're single, then somehow you, oh, you yeah. aren't fulfilled. That's right. Especially on the front of sexuality, because if sex is a need and you're single, then you're incomplete somehow. Right. And it's like, wait, that overlaps a lot with what the world is saying. Right. And not Christ. Oh yeah. Um. Because then we would, with that logic, it would imply that Christ himself was not complete. <laughs> yes, because he was single and not in a sexual relationship.
2: It's. I don't know if you if you're big into the Marvel stuff, and I'm not anymore. I love the old stuff, but <laughs> I like the old. Stuff. Um, but there probably not to the level that you are. But um, yes, I do enjoy it. <laughs> it's apparently become a big joke in some of the new stuff that that you know. Steve. It was such a shame that Steve Rogers died a virgin.
1: Oh yeah, because then they reference it in um, She-Hulk. Have yeah, watched? Appar- no, yeah, yeah.
2: no, I've somehow managed to miss the She-Hulks. Um, the. <laughs> For a lot of reasons, but the, uh, um, uh, I was a She-Hulk fan when it was a comic book way, many, many moons ago. Um, so, uh, yeah, but that's been as if the greatest, how fascinating from a Christian perspective that the greatest tragedy would not be that someone would die and not know Christ.
1: For Captain Rogers. It would
2: be that they died not having had sex.
1: Right, right.
2: And, and how sexual, even that language, that message of how sexualizing that is, that that's especially true because he's so hot.
1: Yeah. You know yeah. What, a, what
2: that's especially a shame. Like what a waste. What a waste. Yeah. That, that a hot guy yeah. like that never had sex. But yeah. Um, again, it just it just shows the the fact that the world's messages about sex are so confused, but that as Christians, we don't need to be jumping on board with that. Someone yeah. who goes their whole life and doesn't have sex and knows Christ is not unfulfilled. Yeah. Um,
1: and just because <coughs> something is sacred and is elevated in scripture, like yes, sex is important to God, yeah. but at the same time, it's not as if we, I think we easily get those priorities confused where it's like, Oh, this is something that God created and is good. So therefore we then go to the other side of like, it's a need to be fulfilled right. and to be able to serve God in some, you know, in full capacity. Like
2: right. <laughs> marriage is not necessary for fulfillment. Mm, having children, right? not necessary for fulfillment, having a family, Career, sex—I don't know. Well, Watching I'm... Star Wars—it's hard for me to say that is <laughs> not necessary for fulfillment. Just kidding. But that—that's a. But it is interesting how we as Christians have bought into that mm-hmm. so easily. Like, yeah, we would we would say, "What a shame if someone lived a life unfulfilled," and by that we mean something, anything other than they didn't know Christ.
1: Right. And then I think I heard I think it, it was one of the authors that we just referenced, probably Sam Alberry, but, um, just say that if, if that is what we're teaching, then we're essentially telling a whole population of believers that the Christian life is, is not walkable for them. Like we're basically excluding them from basically saying like, if sex is a need and sex and marriage is the epitome of the Christian walk. And so therefore it becomes a heterosexual gospel about marriage instead of Jesus, then we're saying godliness and holiness and fulfillment in Christ is off limits to this whole group of people. That's right. Which was really convicting.
2: Yeah. And, and would be, I don't know what the right word would be like that would seem, I understand why that would seem unfair or unkind or even unjust Mm -hmm. to say, here's what fulfillment means. And some of you are just never going to get to experience fulfillment. Right. Which Instead we'll probably saying,
1: talk a lot about when we get to homosexuality, but
2: yeah, that would make sense. Yeah, um, but what we see in these passages um, in First Corinthians, um, in Galatians, there's there's in Thessalonians, it's there. These these passages that list sins. So when yeah. you when you find lists of sins, um, in the New Testament, that's a there's we've we've referenced a couple of them here. Um, but there are plenty of them. And, and, and I think it is important their sexual sins are typically included. Um, but, but that's not, they're not the only things there. And it's important to recognize there's no, there's no prioritization. The only prioritization that we see, the only difference between sexual sins is what the apostle Paul talks about, um, in those first Corinthians passages that, that when you sin any other Mm -hmm. sin, this this is a sin that's not only against God but is against your own right. body.
1: All other sins are outside <clears throat> right. body, yeah.
2: And so it's intriguing. It is intriguing that, and I think there he's talking about consequences mm-hmm. more than it's, he's not dividing it out spiritually. He's just saying there's a whole host of consequences that come with sexual sin right. that don't apply to some of the other sins. But yeah, I think that's key.
1: And even as personal, like we talked about with rape, you know, mm-hmm. it is per it is personal on a different level. Yeah. It doesn't mean that somehow you are more of a sinner if you have committed sexual sins as opposed to others. But it, it is we understand even sure. somewhat innately that it is deeply personal on a lot yes. of levels.
2: And even <clears throat> I mean we're not we don't need to take the time to do this here, but we're also not ignorant into the difference between something being illegal versus being biblically immoral. Right. And those don't always line up and probably shouldn't always line up and that's that's okay that a government doesn't have to make moral standards based on a certain religious view. Yeah. Its main job is to protect its citizens and so of course obvious you know it, it's it's not hypocritical for a state to say we're not going to make you know, adultery illegal, but we are going to make rape illegal. Mm-hmm. It, it makes sense that from a legal perspective, consent is a vital concept. Right. But consent is not the only thing that creates sin biblically. Right. You can have two consenting adults engage sexually and be sinning. Yeah. Um. Because that's, it doesn't follow God's design for sex. And that can be confusing to people like, well, if they're consenting to it, why does it matter? Well, yeah. the issue is we would say, but God isn't consenting to it. Right. And he's He's the ultimate authority when it comes to sex. Right. So it's not just two people that need to consent to it. There's a third person needs to consent to sexual acts and that's God. Yeah. And so we get those biblically. If people want to look up lists, I mean, we looked at one in Mark 7 last time. um, 21 through 23, Jesus does one. And then you have 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5. Mm-hmm. Galatians 5, like 19 through 21. Um, what is the one you just referenced in Corinthians about
1: uh, comparing sexual sin to all other sins? Like all their sins are outside. What is I don't know one? the
2: exact verse. It's going to be I that passage. It. First Corinthians 6, 9, and 10 is the
1: Oh, I think it's 6, 18.
2: Yeah, that sounds right. Somewhere around there. Every
1: other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexual immoral person sins against his own body. Yeah, six eighteen. There you go but i think just on that really quick before we move on i yeah. think i think it's really important when we are speaking about this to differentiate between sexual sins may have a lot more consequences but that doesn't mean different different yeah, consequences There are different consequences right um but that does not mean that somehow cuz we have I, I think unintentionally in christian culture a lot of times we have unintentionally or, or intentionally taught the idea that sexual sins are above all others. Right. And instead of saying like, Hey, they may have a lot more consequences or more lasting, like <laughs> that's, that may be accurate. It doesn't mean that somehow all the other sins are lesser. Right. And these are the ones that, you know, somehow, or that God loves you less because you're, no, so, you know, like I, th- I think we've, there's like a hierarchy of sin that, that we have,
2: I think it's got to be, I don't know, it's got to be partially that sexual sin is just more common than say murder. Yeah. Or we're we're more likely to have our, ourselves engaged in sexual sin than, I don't know, grand larceny. Like, I feel like, I feel like maybe there's part of it is we're more aware of it. It's more yeah. common. Maybe there's, you know, maybe part of why Christians have responded has to do with that whole. You know, when somebody comes and says what you teach about this is wrong,
1: yeah,
2: and the Christian says, "No, it's not. It's been the same for three thousand years." And then the, the the progressive person pushing that would say, "Why are you always talking about it?" Right. So maybe Christians have felt on the defense about yeah. this more, and therefore gone on the offense about it more. Yeah, because no one's trying to convince us murder is okay. I mean, yeah. unless you unless you count abortion, which is a separate conversation, but.
1: Well, but even like um, Sherrod's example of like a pregnant teenager having more, potentially more severe consequences than if she had sinned in some other way. Right. Right.
2: That's a good point. But yeah. (coughs) No, there's, it's clear that there are different sins, obviously carry with them different consequences on earth. Mm -hmm. Um, But, but all sin, any sin is a, is something that, that removes us from experiencing that. That open relationship with God that 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 still has a spiritual consequence of being the same. Mm-hmm. Any sin divides us from Him forever unless it's forgiven and cleansed and paid for,
1: and all which are, only He can do. Right, but all are able to be forgiven also. All it's, are yeah. able
2: to be forgiven, That's and
1: right. like you've talked about before, which I think is really valuable that holiness and purity is something that's bestowed because we're in Christ, not something that we've earned. And, absolutely and not. so therefore one specific sin isn't somehow like, oh, now you're impure.
2: Right. You know, absolutely.
1: Um, which takes away of like, yeah, and regardless of your decisions or your past, like if you're in Christ, he's forgiven your sin and has said that you are pure. And that's for all of us, regardless right. of what our decisions have been in the past, you know.
2: It's interesting. I think it would be offensive. I may be wrong, but I think it would be offensive to a lot of modern <coughs> thinkers. One, that we would somehow make sin, make sexual sins, uh, you know, uh, the bigger sin or the right. worst sin or the whatever sin. Right. But then at the same time, a lot of these lists, I mean, they they put swindlers, drunkards, mm-hmm. greedy people, sexually immoral murderers, and thieves all in the same list. Yeah. And so that is offensive to us because like, wow, well, my sexual sin, it's not like I murdered somebody. Yeah. Um, But at the same time, we would go, my sexual sin isn't worse than anybody else's sin. No, uh, it's not from that sense, but it, but it is still sin. And we can't, no, no, we would never be allowed to back off on that. God right. is the one who defines what is sin. And sin here just means to fall short of his glory, to do something outside of his character, to To choose something for ourselves instead of what He would have for us, mm-hmm. um, so when we talk about sin, that's any anything that would be an offense, right, against God um, that He's commanded against.
1: Do you have <clears> any <throat> other passages specifically that you want to um, hit in this overview?
2: Again, when we look at them, Revelation twenty one eight has a list. First uh, Timothy one eight through eleven, um, which we've referenced before, because it's the one that talks about slavers, slave traders yeah but it also it has in the list uh, sexually immoral it references homosexuality um, and then others that are in regards to sexual sin um, lust which Chris talked about, which I thought was great the, the beginning God is protecting sin so much that he wants it protected even in our minds. Mm-hmm. Um, Romans has a couple of them we look let's say Colossians 3 4 through 10. Um, so again, there are plenty of these lists that list sin. And that is a, those are there. That's what the Bible teaches. Mm-hmm. And and maybe when we talk specifically about some of them, whether it's transgender issues or homosexuality issues or whatever, we'll unpack a little more. Right. Yeah, definitely. Because people, people, you know, have tried to find ways to make that not Say what it seems to say, or that it it actually says something else, or it's been a bad translation for a long, long time, or whatever. And we can we can unpack those for sure, where people get those, and why we are or are not convinced by Mm -hmm. understanding those. But I I think I think the main it's fascinating as we wrap up this. I I think what's key as we've looked at it uh, is yes, the world's attitude about sex and the Bible's attitude about sex don't overlap very much. Mm -hmm. And that's mainly because of the teaching that there is a God and he gets to talk, he gets to consent about sex. Mm -hmm. He is the one who determines what is morally appropriate and not appropriate sexually. And so of course, if you don't believe in that God or don't believe he has an opinion or don't believe he has a authority, then yeah, those aren't going to overlap. It's that simple. And so there is a sense in which we all have to make the decision, do I trust my own attitudes about sex or do I trust his attitudes about sex more? Mm-hmm. Which one do I trust more? Right. And, and that's not just for any population. Right. Every single believer has to make that decision.
1: Right. And not just about sexuality.
2: <laughs> that's right. About everything. <laughs> yeah. Sexuality just kind of, you know, it's the one that hits so close to home so often.
1: Right. Yeah.
2: So, yeah, there we go. We've kind of <laughs> unpacked, I think, in these last three or four conversations, what does the Bible teach about sex?
1: Yeah. And if anybody has questions, obviously mm-hmm. there's so many aspects of this, but definitely send those in and we will try to tackle those. And then next we'll probably move to, like we said, more specific aspects of sexuality that that take more of kind a of focus view. Yeah, mm-hmm. and a hot topic, definitely.
0: Thank you for joining us for this episode of Reconstructed Faith. If you enjoyed what you heard or were challenged, please leave us a review. It will help other people find us. If you have questions or a topic you'd like to hear discussed, shoot me an email at info at southspring.org. Reconstructed Faith is a resource of South Spring Baptist Church. Remember, don't give up. Trust God. Search for answers.